welcome back to Basic Bible 101. I want to start today where we left off in our last lesson. We were talking about David uh, fighting against Saul and Saul um, being very afraid of David. Then we saw that Saul was getting ready to go and fight the Philistines. In the meantime, because David had been running and hiding from Saul, he uh, pretended like he was fighting with the Philistines. Now, he didn't actually fight against his own people, but he pretended like he did, and then he'd go raid some other um, outlying area and bring back the good. It was in this way that David began to build trust among the Philistine leaders. Um, but there were some who still did not trust him, and they did not want him to fight with them when it was time to fight against the Israelites. And that was very smart, perceptive on their part. So instead, David decides to return home. He lives in a town at this point called uh, Ziklag, Z-I-K-L-A-G. And it's here that his family and um, all of his men's families have settled. When they return, they find that their families have been carried off and their whole town has been destroyed. So they immediately uh, take off looking for the uh, villains and in the process they do find this little wandering Egyptian that says yes they came this way and and so David says well can you show me where they are and he said yes I, I will so they had given the the poor wandering Egyptian who had got kind of caught up in all of this uh, some food and water and then they took off and and were actually able to catch up with the tribe that had stolen uh, David's family and, and his men's families and, and all of their livestock and everything they had. And so they fought with them and they won. While this is going on, Israel, headed by King Saul, is fighting the Philistines and this the war goes badly. And at one point Saul is injured, fatally injured, and he knows he's going to die. So he turns to his armor bearer, you know, his sidekick, uh, I guess today we might call them a bodyguard and says just kill me just kill me I can't you know I'm gonna die anyway and it's just terribly painful and the, the bodyguard won't do it you know he just refuses to take the life of God's anointed and so instead Saul just falls on his sword and kills himself when word gets back to David after David has finished his battle and won and brought his family and all of his men's family and all of their livestock back to town, the town that they had settled in, they, uh, David hears about the battle and that Saul has died. And the person who comes to tell him about it is one of the Amalekites who had, over, who had been watching the war take uh, the battle. And in the process... Uh, he saw Saul kill himself, but he decided for whatever reason that he wanted to take the honor of having killed Saul. So when he was telling David that, well, here's how it all happened, this Amalekite tells David that, yes, for sure, Saul and his son Jonathan have been killed, which greatly distresses David, because remember, he was very good friends with Jonathan. And then he, David proceeds to ask him, well, how do you know that they're dead? And he's, this, this um, Amalekite says, well, I happened to be up there on the hill watching the battle. And when I saw that Saul was mortally injured, I went and stood over him and Saul asked me to kill him. So I went ahead and killed him. So David turns to this young man who I'm sure at this point thought he was going to receive the praise of David. 
And he said, how is it that you had the gall to strike down the Lord's anointed? If even the bodyguard wouldn't do this, David's wondering, how did this Amalekite feel brave enough to go ahead and kill Saul? And with this, he tells his men to go and kill this Amalekite. Uh, so you see that David truly respected Saul, clear until the end. And now that Saul has died and the kingdom is within his grasp, we are at this point we're right at the beginning of Second uh, Samuel. So if you want to turn there and read over chapters 2 uh, through 10, uh, this section tells how David actually became the king. There was a little bit of a civil war because naturally the sons of Saul w felt that they should become the new king. That's the way it worked back then. If you were in a monarchy, whoever was the king's son, the prince, then became the king. And so obviously Saul's oldest son thought, hey, I'm supposed to be king. And yet many of the Israelites realized that David was supposed to be their king. And so there was sort of an internal war, almost a civil war at this point. But eventually everyone turns and says, no, David, you are to be our king. And so David uh, takes over uh, leadership of Israel and really defeats the Philistines, has a very successful reign. In fact, they win nearly all of their battles. And through the process of all this, David grows closer and closer to the Lord He's very kind to Saul's family to his and to Jonathan's uh, family and uh, makes sure that they are always honored rather than wiping out the previous uh, uh, hierarchy. And I think part of the reason for that is because, you know, David really, truly loved Saul and he truly loved Jonathan and he had great respect for their family. So he was not going to put all of the relatives of Saul and Jonathan to the sword. Okay, let's skip ahead now to a little story about David that I'm sure you have probably heard about before. If not, you will certainly find this an interesting little twist in the life of David. In chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, we see that David is at home and he's up walking around on the palace balcony. The rest of his, tri uh, his army is off at war. And you might say, well, why wasn't David there? And that is a very good question. We don't really know why, but he has just sent his uh, army off to fight. His commander uh, of the armies is, is in ahead of everything and just says, okay, you guys go and fight. And in the process, he's here home relaxing and he sees this beautiful woman uh, on one of the buildings um, right near the palace and he looks down and she's taking a bath and she's very beautiful and so David decides that he wants her and so he tells his servant go get that woman for me and this woman's name is Bathsheba when she comes to him he decides that he's going to sleep with her and when he does she gets pregnant so sometime after she is sent back home she sends him a little note that says by the way I'm with child and so David is suddenly aware that his sin is going to find him out because one, she is a married woman and two, he uh, has all kinds of wives and this woman is not a wife, a concubine, she's just an adulteress. Uh, so in the process, he decides, well, I think I can cover this up. So he calls uh, one of his servants and says, go order Uriah, who is the husband of Bathsheba, to come home. 
from the war. I, I want to talk to him. So Uriah returns to town, and while he's there, and this is in Jerusalem, um, David has set up his uh, kingship in Jerusalem after they uh, overtook this town, and um, it, it became the head of Israel, which we know today it still is. And so when Uriah arrives, he uh, starts questioning Uriah and says, how's the war going? And how's Joab and how's all this um, proceeding? And Uriah, you know, gives him straight answers. And then he says, well, I think you should go home and rest and we'll talk again tomorrow. And so I'm sure he was hoping that Uriah would go home and sleep with his wife and all would be covered up. But sadly, Uriah, being the good guy that he is, uh, just sleeps at the palace door with the other soldiers. And the next morning, David finds out about this, and he says to Uriah, you know, why didn't you just go home to your wife? And Uriah says, well, all of your ar my army, you know, my army buddies, your army, the army of the Lord, is out in the field sleeping in tents. I can't go home and sleep with my wife in my nice warm bed. So David talks to him a little bit more, and then he decides that maybe if I get him drunk, so he just, they have a little kind of party, and, and then he sends Uriah off thinking for sure he'll go home now. But no, Uriah just curls up and sleeps with the rest of the soldiers. So at this point, David realizes it's not going to work. He writes a little note that he hands to Uriah and sends him back to the battle. And when Uriah returns, he stops and checks in with Joab, who's the commander of the armies there, and then hands him the note, and Joab reads the note, and the note says, send Uriah to the front of the battle, and then pull back the troops. And Joab gets a pretty clear idea of what's supposed to happen. And so sure enough, that's what happens. They, um, Joab sends Uriah to the front of the line. They get a little close to the wall that they're fighting, the town they're fighting, arrows come down and kill Uriah and along with several other of uh, David's soldiers and so when Joab uh, sends message back to David and he knows David's going to be mad because he's lost some men he says and by the way be sure and tell David that Uriah was killed too and so sure enough when the messenger gets back and tells David what's happened David says, well, tell Joab those kind of things happen and to not worry about it. Um, obviously, he is thinking that he has covered his tracks and all is well. So after a period of mourning, he brings uh, Bathsheba to live with him as his wife. And sure enough, she has the baby. It's about this time that Nathan, the Lord speaks through Nathan. Nathan is the priest at this point who... Um, frequently visits with uh, David and Nathan comes to see him and he says you know I want to tell you a story there was a man who had a favorite little sheep a uh, little lamb and he he just kept it with him all the time it was the only one he had he was a poor man he would feed this little uh, lamb and sleep with it and just took such great care of it it was his prized possession then there was a rich man who lived next door. Well, the rich man had some friends come and visit and decided he was going to make mutton stew. So instead of using one of his own sheep from the many that he had, he had his servant sneak next door and steal the little ewe that belonged to this poor man and butchered it and fed it to his visitors. Well, David hears this and he says, that's outrageous. That's totally wrong. This man needs to pay fourfold. Uh, that, and you can see how 
wise it was of Nathan to use this story because remember David was the shepherd and if anybody had a heart toward sheep it would be David and so this to him must have been quite an outrage indeed and so Nathan says to David well that's you and David instantly realizes what Nathan has been trying to say he says um out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you um, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight you will uh, you did it in secret but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel that's what Nathan is saying that God says and so David immediately fesses up and says I have sinned and is immediately repentant and uh, Nathan says, well, God has forgiven you, but the child that, that you've had with Bathsheba is going to die. And so David is heartbroken about this, and he begins to fast and pray and plead with the Lord not to take this child's life. But uh, after about five, six days, the child is not getting any better, and eventually the child dies. And at that point, the servants come to tell David the news, and they're so afraid to say anything because they know how he has just lamented and fasted and mourned and pleaded with God for the, all these days that they think, oh, what's he going to do when he finds out the child is dead? And David hears them and he turns and he says, is the child dead? And they say, yes. And he says, okay. So he gets up, cleans up, puts on his lotions and his, his royal robes and has something to eat and goes into the house of the Lord and worships. What a surprising response when the worst has come, except that I think we see in David's heart a sense of, well, God is God, and he can do what he wants. He will do what he wants. And our response can only be um, praising him for who he is, the glorious God. And so David is, um, at this time, greatly reprimanded, and we see that uh, sure enough, the prophecy that has taken place of the fourfold, remember Nathan had, David had pronounced his own judgment. He had said, oh, that guy should pay fourfold. Well, Nathan concurs, and sure enough, uh, David will end up paying fourfold. Not only will this son die, but three of his other sons will be killed, and uh, David will live to see it, and it's quite heartbreaking. So I'd encourage you to read the rest of Second Samuel. You can read some of the details. We won't cover it all in basic Bible, um, but it is rather interesting. And the um, prophecy about uh, one close to him sleeping with his wives, well, that ends up being his son who tries to take over the kingdom. So go ahead and read the rest of Second Samuel. Okay, in this, uh, throughout this time, you know, David then again returns to Bathsheba, you know, his wife now, sleeps with her, and she has another child, and this child they call Solomon. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he does become the next king of Israel. Now, Solomon is considered one of the wisest men in, uh, in of all time. The Bible talks quite a bit about uh, Solomon. We will cover our, lesson, our next lesson, which will begin in the first part of 1 Kings. We will talk about Solomon. But I want to take just a few minutes to talk about uh, David and leave, leave you with a pretty clear eye understanding of David's heart before the Lord. 
you may or may not realize that much of the Psalms were written by David, and you can see the process that he went through. Some of the Psalms were written while he was running away from Saul. Some of the Psalms were written during this time when he was fasting and praying for his uh, son who would be who would die. And some of them are absolute repentance psalms where he says, God, I've sinned, I know I've sinned. And then some of them are rejoicing psalms where he says, I know you've forgiven me. So I would really encourage you to spend some time in the psalms if you have some time in the next week. But for right now, turn to Psalms 103. We'll start with this one. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. It goes on, you can see, um, right here we can get a sense of David's worship before the Lord and his understanding of who God is. Turn to Psalms 139, and I'm going to ask you a question on this. Um, do you think that God forgave David for what he did? You know, I, we, we see that in Scripture that he did because he goes on to uh, live a pretty uh, decent life until the end, certainly not at the level that he had before that because after this he suffers great, great heartache over his sons. But turn to Psalms 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you 
because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What a sweet picture of his relationship with God and his understanding that God has known everything about him, created him just the way he was, and loves him through and through. One last uh, psalm for today we'll look at. Turn to Psalms 78. Um, let's see, I'll move back here to Psalm 78. Uh, and we're just going to look at verses 1 through 7. O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Who does this sound like? See if this sounds like somebody you have heard about in Scripture. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide from them from their children, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. When he commanded our forefathers to teach our children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. So we see that David even prophesies a little bit about the coming Messiah and how because we have taught the lost to the next generation and the next that they would be prepared when, when the Messiah comes. Now you may say we're reading a lot into that. I would just say read some more of the Psalms and you will see that that is there. Okay, what did we learn from today's lesson? First we learned that David loved God and yet he was still a sinner. And I hope that that gives you hope when you feel like I do love God and yet I screw up and we do, but God forgives. Second, like us, his natural tendency was to cover up sin, but God wants us to confess right away. He doesn't want us to hide or try and cover up or bury our sin. It just makes it worse. Sin has consequences, sometimes beyond our own lifetime, sometimes to those we love around us. You know, we think that we can sin and it's just us that's affected by it. But that obviously is not true here because David's family was terribly affected by it. And obviously Uriah's life uh, was ended so soon because of David's sin. So our sin does impact others, even when we think it doesn't. Finally, God knows everything about us, but he loves us anyway. He always forgives if we ask, if we come with that humble heart and say, God, forgive me. Okay, thank you so much for being with, uh, tuning in to Basic Bible today. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and read through the very first part of 2 Kings so you will be ready to discuss the life of King Solomon. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories, and I think that you will see some very interesting dynamics that take place here as Solomon takes over the kingdom. In the meantime, remember you can go to www.basicbible101.com to either purchase the little workbook that and follow along and do your homework, or to get answers to the homework questions. I realize some of you have said, 
Where are those answers? And I am so sorry. I, I greatly apologize. I've intended to get up there, upload those um, answers. But I hope that you get enough out of the lesson that you can answer them. All right. Um, that's about it for today. And I want to just uh, encourage you to uh, go ahead and, and spend some time in the Psalms. And until next time, be blessed. <laughs>